Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to be talking about optimist, pessimist, and realist. And hopefully we'll define the terms and, and try to find a way to fluidly move between all the terms. Because from what Denise and I have researched, you really don't want to be just an optimist or just a realist or just a pessimist. There's different times in our lives that call for different labels that we need to embrace. I got the idea for this show, Denise, when I read this article by Sharon Ackman on Medium. Mm-hmm. And she was researching men who had survived being a POW in Vietnam. Oh. And what her research showed was that it wasn't the optimist or the pessimist who survived and thrived. It was the realist. And I thought, well, that's an interesting perspective. And she starts out the article by quoting a Vietnam POW survivor. He's a Medal of Honor recipient, Commander James Stockdale. And he was asked, who didn't make it out of the POW camps? And he said, oh, that's easy, the optimist. Doesn't wow. that surprise you? It does surprise me. But with some of the things that I was reading about getting ready for this show, it kind of makes sense, too. And as we talk about the different characteristics of which category you may fall in, I think it's also really important to remember all of this is on a continuum, like anything else. So there's an ebb and flow. I think we all have a default position, a propensity towards one being more optimistic or being more of a realist or being more of a pessimist. But I do think that there is a spectrum to this, just like everything else. Yeah, I agree. Now, she said in that article that the optimistic POWs, they were sure they'd be home by Christmas, then Easter. Then they pinned all their hopes on the 4th of July, and then the next Christmas. And the study showed that all of their high expectations that would then shatter with each coming, you know, deadline passing and not them not being home led to this roller coaster of emotions, which Ackman says diminished their endurance. And Stockdale, the, the commander who survived, he said, I think they died of a broken heart. But because the pessimist accepted their situation and the realist just looked at it realistically like okay we're here now what are we going to do they moved easily through these changing emotions of grief and anger now stockdale said only the pessimist had the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of their current reality if you can imagine the worst you can prepare for it so i just thought it was so interesting when when i was researching what these different labels mean I thought I was getting ready to research, be an optimist, it's the best thing, studies show this, this, and that. But I really read positives about all three of those labels and negatives. Yes. And one of the questions that came up is, and I read this for a while, it was, are realists really pessimists in disguise? Because a realist is someone who's going to completely make unbiased judgments about something and doesn't see it through any kind of a filter. So it's neither positive or negative. Whereas pessimists are going to go worst case scenario. They're going to see that and go from zero to 60 in that direction. So I don't think that a realist is a pessimist in disguise. But there's also a lot of times pessimists are blasted for yes, that worst case scenario, but they never see the position to look for what's wrong and could they're always looking for what could go wrong what could get worse 
whereas realists don't because they have an awareness of the possible negative outcomes, but also the awareness of the positive outcomes as well. Yeah, like if we take the half glass full example, the, the optimist sees a glass half full, the pessimist sees it half empty, the realist sees a glass of water. Or if we want to take this, you know, coronavirus example, an optimist might look at this as no big deal. We'll be fine. There's nothing to worry about. Or they'll look at the positives. We get to enjoy more downtime and spend time with family or working on household projects. The pessimist might view this as the end of the world. The economy will never recover. We're all going to die. But the realist will say, okay, this is bad and a little bit scary. So I'm going to plan accordingly, stay indoors, and make the best of it. There's a quote by William Arthur Ward, and it's in reference to sailing. And he says, the pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, and the realist adjusts the sails. That's a great quote. (laughs) Yeah, so optimists tend to be happier. They see the good in people. They see the good in things. And one good thing about being an optimist studies show they make other people happy. They also tend to be less anxious because they ignore things that make them worry. And here's some of the bad stuff. They tend to focus on illusions. And people often view optimists with less respect. They might use terms like airy-fairy or they're naive. They tend to pay less attention to detail and can make poor decisions as a result. One study showed optimistic managers had the worst successful hiring rate. Pessimists actually had a better hiring rate because of their penchant for, you know, analyzing details about people, whereas optimists who were hiring would overlook flaws and red flags. And another study showed as optimists underestimate both the time and cost of projects, trips, and plans. That would be me. Oh, I fall in that hole, too. Yeah. This is going to take two hours. Yeah. Two days later. Exactly. This will be fun. No big deal. I love to paint the house. <laughs> Pessimists tend to look at the negative, and they reflect on regrets of the past, like if only or I should have. And here are some of the bad stuff about being a pessimist. They tend to avoid, people tend to avoid pessimists due to their melancholy views. However, because of this, pessimists do get more done because they're always looking to improve situations, but they do blame themselves when things go wrong. Pessimists are great at identifying obstacles, while pessimists excel at perceiving potential problems and learning from past mistakes, they need to work on learning how to ask for help and how to connect more meaningfully with others. So it was interesting to look at what the studies showed. Like, I read that optimists actually have some of the highest stress levels of all three groups because they push down all of their negative emotions. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to see it. Whereas pessimists tend to have the highest rates of depression and loneliness. Which both make sense because I think sometimes optimists will always have on the proverbial rose-colored glasses, which can sometimes not lead to the best decision-making or choices because it's okay, everything's going to be great. Whereas pessimism, and I have a, someone that I've chatted with over the years, and no matter what you say, you, and, I, and I, this is terrible to say out loud, but I'm going to admit it, 
I'll be in the conversation and in my head, I'm saying, wait for it, wait for it, boom, because it's always going to go back to that pessimistic outlook of, well, that's really great that you got to raise, oh, you're going to have to pay extra taxes on that, isn't that terrible? And it always goes Debbie Downer. So I think <laughs> that would lead to more anxiety and depression in some, some respects if you were always waiting for that worst shoe to come along. I agree. In my group of friends, we have a pessimist, and we call her our little rain cloud. Oh. But I love her because, I don't know, being friends with a pessimist can be kind of enriching because it's, it's nice to have – I can always talk to her about real shit. Whereas my optimist friend – I have a friend who is a true 100% optimist. And it's great, and it's fun, and it's uplifting. But if I want to talk to her about real stuff going on in my life or the world, she practically plugs her ears. Oh. I mean, she can't even handle, if I mentioned something really sad in the news or a really awful crime that happened in our town, she'll go, why are you talking about this? You know, like she just can't handle it. And so I have... I have a hard time with devout optimists because I need to go to the dark place sometimes. That's how I understand my light. So I don't know. I see the good and the bad in, in all of the labels. I really do. And I don't, I, I have a hard time defining myself as any of these labels. Cause like you said, I do think it's a spectrum. Right. And I think you ride the, you're right in the middle as well. I think you err more on realist and you have your optimistic and your pessimistic traits that that's where, where I am as well. Yeah. I'm more, because I, I think having that base in reality to be able to see both sides of it. And, and as empaths being so sensitive, I wonder if we feel the extremes more. So the highly optimistic friend that you mentioned, do we feel that at a deeper level and the pessimism, do we feel it as a deeper level? Because there are, I think, I think we do. I'll tell you what I feel. I feel the inauthenticity of my optimistic friend. And as an empath, I can't handle that. I really can't. I have such a hard time. And I can feel it in every bone of my body when a smile only reaches someone's mouth and it doesn't reach their eyes. I think we empaths, we know. Yes. And if I try to say to her, is everything okay? Everything going all right with such and such? Oh, it's fine. And, and it's almost like she's mad at me for noticing that maybe things aren't great. And I, I have a hard time with that. Well, I need... Not genuine. Yes. I need for myself and people in my life to be sometimes brutally honest, but always vulnerable and authentic. So I don't know if that makes me a pessimist or a realist. But the studies that I looked at for this show said that what we all should strive for is to be a realistic optimist. Because a realistic optimist, they're hopeful, but they always prepare for less favorable outcomes too. So rather than, like if an optimist is like, let's say you're, you're given plan A or plan B, an optimist will go, both of them will work out just great. And a pessimist will be like, I don't think either one of those is going to work out. Whereas a realist will look at plan A, plan B, and they'll look outside of the box for plan C, and they'll prepare for the positives and negatives of all options. You know, whereas like a pessimist might not even see options, and an optimist might see only 
this is going to be great. So you want to try to be a realistic optimist. And studies show they're also the most mentally healthy. Oh, I am loving this because that's my category. Yay! Uh, <laughs> and real, <laughs> realistic optimists, and this was something I, I read, was that they're cautiously hopeful of favorable outcomes, but they do as much as they can to obtain the desired results. So it's not that click your heels together and it's just going to magically fall in my lap. A lot of times I think it's, all right, this is one possible outcome that might happen. What do I need to do to try to gear things in that direction? And not in a way of trying to over-control it, but of focusing your attention, your energy, and your hope towards the more positive outcome. Or what do I need to put in place to have this go in this direction? I'm not a superstitious person. As much woo-woo as I do, I'm not superstitious for the most part. And there's one statement that I'm very, I stopped saying this years and years ago because I noticed it was a catalyst for falling in the hole. Have you ever heard people will say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? I don't care for that statement because it allows you to open up into this whole big wide range of horrible shit that can come into your life. I have a, a different... Yeah, because a lot of people will say if you've looked for the worst one, then you know what it is and you don't have to worry about it anymore because, oh, that's the worst thing. Now I can move in this direction. That's how my dad got me through a lot of anxious nights when I was a kid. I was a worrier as a child, and my dad would always say that. Let's, let's focus on the worst thing that can happen. And I never wanted to go there. I had the same thing you were saying, like, hell no. Why would I want to think about that? So if I was struggling, usually it was with math, he'd go, all right, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I'd say, well, I'll fail the class. And it would even be hard for me to say that out loud. And he'd say, okay, so you fail math, then what happens? I'd have to take summer school. Okay, then what happens? I'd be ridiculed, ostracized, and embarrassed. Okay, so you get through that summer of ostracism and embarrassment, and then what happens? Well, I'd start fresh in the new year. Yeah, see, Samantha, you're going to be fine either way. So he would push me to look at those worst case scenarios. And it's actually helped me a lot when I get worried and anxious about things. I don't know if that would work for everyone, you know, like some people who have like real anxiety issues that might not be helpful to them. But for me, it kind of helped me to, to think, okay, it's even, even the worst case I think I can get through. And and I think as we go through life and, and we see the awful, wonderful, difficult, challenging things we've had to go through, we have gotten through them. Now, that's one thing I read that optimists don't do. They tend to not look back. And so as a result, they don't learn from their failures. Whereas pessimists, that's kind of all they do is go back and back and back. But the good thing is they do tend to learn from their failures. That's interesting that you brought that up about your dad, having you work through it that way, because that was one of the suggestions for pessimists is when you do get to that place of look at your worst case scenario and then ask someone to come up with something worse. And once you realize that what you came up with is the absolute worst, it's a way to lighten it up and say, oh, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. And I'm more in control of this situation. Or if they do come up with something else, it gives you that ground zero so you know. Okay. I love 
So this would have been years and years ago that your dad did this. When yeah, when I was a kid. But it helped you. It, in many ways, it probably shaped your outlook for the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. Because when I would get into those spirals of, oh my gosh, this is the, you know, you know when you're a child, everything is the best thing or the worst thing. And he would always help bring me back to center by walking me through that. And I wouldn't have gone to that dark side of my worst fears if he hadn't held my hand through that. And it helped me to see even the worst thing isn't necessarily the worst thing. Now, I'm not talking about all things. Some things are the worst thing. But I mean, for our general day-to-day -day worries, that strategy has helped me. So I think there's a difference between what you're describing and just being constantly Debbie Downer. Yeah. And I think that if a, a pessimist may look for that worst-case scenario so that they have a benchmark, this is my starting ground. Now I don't have to worry about it because I know. And these are some things I can do and I'll get on the other side of it. I think sometimes the negativity will be no matter what is good in life, someone with a negative outlook is going to find a way to tarnish that. And I don't know if that's true pessimism or it's just being a negative person. Yeah, I think of a pessimist as Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yeah. And I think of an optimist as Tigger. And like when I think of Eeyore, he wasn't negative. He just always saw the downside of life. And so I think you're right. I think there's a very big difference between being a negative person and a pessimist. I think many times when I, because like, like I said, I don't define myself as an optimist, a pessimist, or a realist. I am different things in different situations. And when I do fall into the pessimist label, it's almost a comfort to me. It's almost, when I'm very worried about something, it, it's almost comforting to prepare for the worst so that my expectations don't fail me. And okay. I don't see that as negative. I, I just see that as me kind of cushioning a fall that might come. You know what I mean? Like if I'm worried about something, to plan for the worst thing happening actually can help. To be prepared. So in a sense, that's more of a realist perspective true very Was very true oscar wilde who always had a, a good quip that said some cause happiness wherever they go and others whenever they go yeah i love that quote <laughs> i think sometimes that applies to how people view pessimists i agree hey i wrote down another oscar wilde quote in my notes let me find it oh here it is we are all in the gutter but some of us are looking at the stars Yes. Okay. I love that. Oscar, he gets the optimist pin. I think he's like us. I think he kind of goes back and forth because he can be so snarky sometimes. I love him. But yeah, I think, I think that that's it. You know, we are all in the gutter. Like, I, I don't consider myself a total optimist, but I don't think we're all in the gutter. <laughs> no. <laughs> sometimes life can feel that way. Now, Freud said that optimist we're in illusionary denial. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I think sometimes they can be. But research also shows optimists recover more quickly from adversity. They bounce back. And they are also much better risk takers, which, again, I guess can be good or bad. Then you have to factor in nature-nurture. 
are we predispositioned towards a specific outlook based on genetics or or is there upbringing that could be a part i think it's both i think it's both too i think it's always both whenever that nature nurture debate comes up i think it's always both and i think as children we tend to take on the characteristics of the parent we most identify with right like i'll give you an example that's popping into my head and i don't even know if it's relevant but when i was a kid i was never a big eater i'm still not a big i don't i'm not like a big food person but my parents loved to go out to eat so we'd go to these restaurants and i would always order a big meal and i would never eat the big meal and this would drive my mother batty and she would be like, why did you order the steak if you weren't even that hungry? You need to finish that steak. Your father's paying a lot of money for that food. Eat it all. And my dad would say, Carol, the second she ordered it, whether she ate it or threw it away, I'm paying for it. So let it go. We're here to enjoy being in this beautiful restaurant. And I just, I don't know, I just loved that philosophy. Like it just always freed me. Yeah. yeah. And so I've always... My dad's much more of an optimist, and so I've always leaned more towards that, and I think because I've always identified more with him. And so I think if, if you identify more, like I have a friend who has one parent who's a pessimist and one's an optimist. The optimist parent is one of those who's like, he's very much a spendthrift. He believes one day they'll win the lottery. He takes big risks with his business. And so the family economics were like very up and down. And her mother was a pessimist, but she was the stable one. She was the one who was always there for them. She was the one who always had extra money like hidden and saved for them. And so my friend has kind of embraced more of a pessimistic view because I think she viewed her mom as the safer parent. You know what I mean? So I think it's nature nurture, but I think we will take on the characteristics of the parent that made us feel safer. Right. And also if we, again, going back to all being empaths in this, if we grew up where there was stress or adversity or situations in our early years that caused us to become hypersensitive or I don't want to say caused, but brought out those traits more strongly, that could also be a factor in whether or not we're fully optimist, realist, or pessimist. I agree. Okay, I have a question for you because this is something I've debated with other people many, many times. Do you think high expectations are worth it? So what I mean by that, I've had a lot of people who have said to me, you know, the expectation is always better than the reality. Like I remember when I went to my first prom and my mom was like, was it amazing? Was it wonderful? And I was like, yeah, it was fun. But I kind of had more fun getting ready for the prom than being at the prom. And I remember her saying, expectations are always better than reality. And I thought, hmm, is that true? So this is a debate I've, I've often had with people. Do you think it's good to have high expectations, even if the reality will never live up? Do you think that having high expectations is just kind of fun and exciting and gives us something to look forward to and think about and plan? Or do you think people should have realistic expectations? For years and years and years, I didn't plan ahead. I didn't have expectations because there were so many other factors in my life that they didn't happen. Things fell through or I couldn't predict what would happen or there were too many variables. So it was 
And I can remember my mother saying when I was little, Denise, don't get your hopes up. You're going to be disappointed. Which I don't know if that was good, bad, or indifferent. It depends on how you look at it. So I think right now so many of us have had expectations and plans and things that have been put on hold because of what's going on in the world. Am I disappointed in that? No. Am I? It's just part of it. But I think those expectations are different than when we're trying to further who we are as human beings on the planet because it ties in with goal setting and all those other things. So it's really optimism isn't synonymous with happiness, but having expectations isn't synonymous with success either. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great differentiation to make. I think it's wonderful to have high expectations because I think it pushes us to achieve and strive for the best that we can be. I think it's fun to have high expectations because it's just exciting to have something to plan and look forward to. I also believe that our subconscious mind is really powerful. And so if we have high expectations, we're kind of priming our subconscious to help co-create that. But I think all of that has to be tethered to reality. There's the rub. You know, I think that's the tricky balance that we all have to learn to work with. You're so spot on with that because I can think of so many people who say they'll set these expectations and these goals that I don't ever, ever want to pull the rug out from under someone or say that's ridiculous or, you know, you're, you don't have the physical stamina to be a pro athlete. But if that's your goal, maybe you should look at some other options. So I think in this world where you can be whatever you want to be and you can do it, you have to bring in the realism of does that fit me as an individual? Right. Is this, is this a realistic goal, a realistic high expectation? Yes. Guess um, what the most depressing age to be is? Here's oh, a what? fun study I came across. <laughs> but it's actually interesting. The most depressing age is 47. I was rewinding the tape to 47 to see, was I depressed then? <laughs> I was so, so damn busy at 47. I was going in 900 different directions. Well, that's I one of the main it. reasons. <laughs> that's one of the main reasons because people are busy. They're taking care of families. They're taking care of their parents. They're working at their career. But this is also the age when we start to realize some of those unrealistic expectations we had for our lives in our 20s and 30s aren't coming true. There's my Debbie Downer. Oh, exactly. Because you're, you're hitting the big 50 and you're saying, oh, I didn't do this, didn't do that. Look at the choices I made. It's a real transitional time. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree too. And so I think that rub I was talking about before, this is where being a realistic optimist really can play in our favor. Because there are times in our life where we have, to, we have to look back at our failures. I do think we should learn from them, but I also feel we should reframe them in an optimistic way. You know, the advice I always give to myself is, did you do the best you could? And that helps me reframe perceived failures or uh, dashed expectations in a much healthier, happier light. Did I do the best I could? in the situation I was dealt. And then I think to look at certain things in your life, okay, I thought this, this, and this would have happened by now. It has not. 
but that's not going to turn me into a pessimist. That's going to turn me into an optimistic realist. Okay, that didn't happen, but here's what did happen and here's what still can happen. And so that's where I think the onus is always on us. You just made a really, really incredibly important point of when you do get to those turning points, not letting that define the rest of the game, not letting that define directions or new goals or new, new opportunities that are going to come into your life because it's not the one that you thought you were supposed to do or had to do. Yes. So being fluid enough to go with that flow. Mahatma Gandhi is, and I, I love so many important things that came from this person, but you know, happiness is when you think what you say and what you do are in harmony. And when we have to hit those turning points and set new goals or new directions, and it might not be, oh, I didn't have the family I thought I'd have or the job I thought I'd have or you know, the partner or my physical health, whatever it might be, the realist is going to say, no, but this is where I am now and these are my choices to go forward. Yes. Rather than going back around and around and around and, and wasting precious time and energy on saying stuck in what was rather than the potential of what can come in. Yeah, and, and always trying our hardest to flip things to a more positive outlook. Because I think one thing pessimists lack is the ability to see choices and to see other options. I think optimists see almost too many choices or too many hopeful options, whereas a realist just takes the situation and looks at it in the best hopeful light. Like, for example, I, God, I keep mentioning my parents in this episode, but I've been having to see them a lot lately. And I went over to check on them yesterday. <laughs> my mom was in a mood. Imagine that, Denise. <laughs> and I said, what's wrong? And she said, your father, all he'll eat are grilled cheese sandwiches. God damn grilled cheese sandwiches. That's all I'm cooking three times a day. Well, I go over there and I make, I pre-make all the grilled cheese sandwiches and I stack them in these Tupperware things. So all she has to do is pull them out of the Tupperware thing and stick them on the grill if I'm not there. And so she's complaining, you know, he has Alzheimer's. And, you know, when you have Alzheimer's, you want the same thing. You want, they, they're comforted by that. Yeah. My mom doesn't understand that. So I said, mom, I'm like, let's look at this a different way. What if he wanted three different meals every single day? And you were back in the 1980s sitting at the kitchen table going through cookbooks. I mean, it's kind of a relief. You know, every day, all you have to do is heat up three grilled cheese sandwiches. And she actually said, you know, I didn't think about it that way. Well, I mean, that was a beautiful gift to give her. Yes, we're not going to get into the Bible. But for me, that was like a biblical miracle. <laughs> 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 she listened and saw the positive. And I think that was me trying to be a realist, like an optimistic realist in that moment. Like, yeah, this sucks. Your husband isn't your husband anymore. He doesn't remember anything and he doesn't. He can't even share meals with you the way you're used to. And you are the caretaker, and that's hard. But let's look at the positive in this hard situation. So I wasn't trying to, you know, diminish her complaints or say, that's no big deal. I was just trying to help her see the positive within the complaint. Which, again, was a huge gift, but also it was you saying no. It was helping her see uh, so have some objectivity and, and having a more 
even if it wasn't full optimism, it brought a neutrality into the conversation that helped her to step out of that reality for a minute of how yeah. dark it was. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, that's one thing I don't like about talking to optimists. They won't listen to your complaints. You ever notice that? Yes. They'll just go, oh, that's not so bad. You should hear, you know, it's like just, what was, I was just writing in my journal a couple of weeks ago and, and I, and I wrote, it's so much more important to be with someone. Like, instead of saying, I'm here for you, I really think we need to start saying, I'm here with you. Ooh. And those, those two prepositions to me have such different meaning. When someone says, I'm here for you, that's like, a, I'm totally fine. My life is perfect. I'm going to step in and help you through this because you need help. But when you say, I'm here with you, that's an arm around the shoulder. That's, yeah, we might all be in the gutter right now, but let's be in this gutter together and look up at the stars. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's what I think we all need to strive for as realistic optimists is, is not diminishing the pain that someone is in, not overlooking it, not denying it, not focusing on an illusion not ignoring a red flag, but acknowledging it and being with someone through that and then trying to find the star, the silver lining, the damn blessing in disguise. Honestly, I hate that phrase. <laughs> but because, <laughs> you know, sometimes things in life just stink and you've got to let them stink. Right. And there's no talking your way out of it. Some things in life are just crappy. And I, I don't think optimists serve anyone by trying to deny that. But I don't think pessimists serve anyone by only focusing on the stinky aspects of life. Well, one of the things I read was that pessimists may be more likely to make it that it was a personal lack or failure or indiscretion versus the optimists and the own it quite as deeply. And I didn't agree with that because I... I, I did the quizzes online, and my favorite one was, and you can, you can Google this on quizzes, or there's all these different things. Am I an optimist, a realist, a pessimist? And it was similar. I shared this with you earlier. It was similar to when we did the ambivert show, and I thought, yes, damn it, I'm an ambivert. And it was like, nope, you're an introvert. Introvert, introvert, could not get into that middle, middle category. So I kept saying, <laughs> I think I'm pretty balanced. And the one my favorite was, oh, you are an uber-realist. And I thought, oh, okay. But I didn't have anything come up pessimistic. It was all optimism. And, but that's been a learned behavior because there were times in my life where it was so dark that that was what, all I had to hang on to to keep going. And I think that applies for a lot of us. If you've been through so much adversity, switching your perspective can make the hugest difference in your overall life satisfaction. And it may be a learned behavior to try to find that, to, to, to remember to look up at the stars when you're in the gutter. Thank you for putting that so succinctly. It's a learned behavior. That's exactly true. I think we all need to accept our flaws. We all need to accept who we are and the way we look at life and have a kind and compassionate heart for people that might not see it through the same lens. I agree. I did find one part of my research that talked about a positive form of pessimism called defensive pessimism. I'd never heard of that. Did you come across that? No, I didn't see that. 
It's, it's a way of managing anxiety by setting low expectations and imagining everything that can go wrong. And it's oh. been shown to calm an overly anxious person. Um, and they can even use this negative envisioning to motivate themselves. It's been shown to boost confidence, possibly because they're able to plan and prepare for difficult situations. And I even read Coach Bob Knight, you know, the famous coach. He wrote a book called The Power of Negative Thinking. <laughs> which teaches people how to prevent mistakes by preparing for them. So I just thought, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that, but it's interesting. I, I agree. You know, we keep throwing quotes out on this show, and I think it's Shakespeare who said, there is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So it's all how we tend to view it. And I think the key is to avoid all labels. So rather than looking at the glass as half full or empty, or seeing yourself as a pessimist or an optimist, I think we should just embrace the spectrum. Sometimes it's good to be an optimist. Other times we need to be a realist. And sometimes preparing for the worst is our best choice in that moment. And, and I read this term, Denise, that I love, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, so please don't email me and complain. I learned by reading. The term is called Millerier's. Okay, see, I really cannot say it. Mellorism, M-E-L-I-O-R-I-S-M. It's a concept that supports the belief that even though, even though things might be hard now, they will get better. It's not about ignoring a difficult situation. It's about accepting the situation as it is and then working to make it better. It reminds us that it's not our hopes or perceptions that affect change, but our actions. I think that was written by a true realist. Yeah, an optimistic realist. Yes. <laughs> Well, we hope this has been helpful in helping you determine if you are an optimist, pessimist, or realist. And I think as we go throughout this pandemic time that we are all sharing together, I think we all need to focus on being a realistic optimist and seeing that, yeah, it's kind of hard right now and it's very, very challenging and, and a little bit scary and sometimes a lot scary. But if we work hard to take action to focus on the positives that are coming out of this in the world and in our own lives. If we plan for the worst, not by hoarding toilet paper, but by planning in our own way that helps make us feel safe and connected, but also staying focused on the positive and staying focused on really sharing our light and doing what we can in our own corner of the world to help others I think we'll all get through this realistically in a positive way. I agree entirely. That's very, very well said. Well, thank you. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We hope you're having a great week. As always, please remember, show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.